This episode of Control Alt Delete is brought to you by Greenvelope. Hosting business, nonprofit, and personal events has never been easier than with Greenvelope.com. Say goodbye to managing spreadsheets of responses, losing paper invites, or RSVPs getting lost in your inbox. Get elegant, eco-friendly digital invitations, RSVP tracking, ticketing, and more all in one place. So for a free trial and 20% off, visit Greenvelope.com slash Walt. That's G-R-E-E-N-V-E-L-O-P-E dot com slash Walt. Hello and welcome to Control Out Delete, an increasingly high-resolution podcast from The Verge. I am Neil Patel. I'm the editor-in-chief of Verge, and I'm joined as always by my friend and Verge executive editor, Walt Mossberg. How you doing, Walt? I'm great, Neilai. That that intro came to us today from uh, Mary Ellen Gordon uh, on Twitter. Megan's M-E-G-I-N-Z. Just follow her and send us more intros because. Yeah, we I'm, love getting these intro suggestions it's uh, super on fun. Twitter. Yeah, so send them along, and we're going to keep we're going to keep using them. And I'll, uh, that if you could I see us right now, you'd know we were in high resolution. So it's a good right. one. Yeah, we look good. <laughs> uh, you know, we have this plan to buy a billboard of uh, for the podcast as a, a marketing stunt, and uh, we the only picture that we've ever contemplated using is a picture of me and Walt at Code last year, smoking cigars on the veranda in uh, in the Terranea. One of the days, one of these days is going to happen. If you're a billboard vendor and you have a discount, come at me. Okay. Yeah. How many billboard vendors do you think listen to this? Or show? we could trade the billboard for an ad on the podcast. Have you thought? There of you that? go. From we're the wheeling, billboard company, we're dealing in high resolution. Um, wheeling and dealing. All right. And so this, and Neilai, before we get into it, yeah, there's been a lot of people on the uh, on Twitter, particularly since I did this Apple history video in which I showed stickers on my oh ma- uh, laptop that want merch. These people want merch. They want they T-shirts. They want stickers. What are we doing about that? This is the year The Verge goes from being a digital brand to a presence in the physical world. And uh, we're, we're going to get you those stickers. I promise. It's a th- it's, on, it's on my, it's on I, my list. Stickers, you know, I've been, T-shirts, bags, the whole right. thing. Right. I mean, yeah. We've, um, we've got to become apparel and and merch vendors. That's what we got to be. If you listen to the other podcast, you know I've got a whole plan to launch a vodka brand. It's a whole... I'm I'm out there. I'm I'm done with this internet game. I'm I'm going into physical goods distribution. I'm right there with you. Uh, speaking of the digital game, well, this week you reviewed a web browser, um, and I was saying just before the show started uh, that your review of a new web browser called Vivaldi has been at the top of the site all day long. It is literally one of the most popular posts on the site, which is surprising to both of us that so many people are interested in new web browser. And I think really speaks to something you and I have been sort of talking around and kind of, dare I say, disagreeing about uh, for some time, which is sort of the web versus apps. I think when we talk about the iPad, this comes up a lot. But before we get into all that, why don't you tell us about Vivaldi a little bit? Yeah. So um, I guess the first thing to say is, you know, there was a time when we used to get uh, everybody used to get very excited about new browsers and even new versions of existing browsers that brought out, you know, really cool new features uh, like tab browsing. Uh, we were talking about off air a few minutes ago and uh, things like that. And 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 that and that hasn't been the case for some years. Uh, but these guys uh, and and these people, I should say, because I'm sure uh, I, I know that some of them are, are women. Used to the, the the CEO of this Vivaldi Vivaldi company used to be the CEO of Opera, 
which was also a browser, uh, uh, sort of for power users, was a browser for power users, is a browser for power users. And then he wasn't the CEO of Opera uh, after a few years ago, and he began work on this company called Vivaldi, and they brought out what they claim is the a browser for power users. It's almost infinitely customizable. It has a zillion different features, some of which are very useful potentially, uh, and some of which just seem to me to be silly. Uh, in the former category, for instance, a thing where you can easily take notes, uh, including snippets from whatever interesting uh, post you're reading. That's pretty useful. Uh, in the latter uh, kind of frivolous category, you can make all the pictures on a web page appear skewed and crooked. I have no idea what that would be for, but um, it's in there. Uh, they claim there's uh, like a million, literally a million ways, different ways you can customize this uh, browser in terms of colors and where different things are and how different things behave and uh, all that sort of stuff. And so it's for power users, it's for geeks, it's for techies. And I thought it was interesting enough to review. And my basic uh, conclusion was that if you do fall into that category, you might well enjoy this as long as you're willing, and I think many power users are willing at some point, to put up with some bugs. There are st still some, even though this is now finally after a year of beta version 1.0, uh, there are some bugs. I had uh, some video issues and a couple of other uh, uh, issues. Um, it is cross-platform. Mm -hmm. It works on Mac Windows and Linux. It, it is there is not a mobile version of it yet, which, as you and I both know, is where most of the uh, the browsing activity now uh, happens. But they and they understand that, and they're going to work on that. They are working on that, but they don't have it yet. But if you want to try a new desktop browser, and you are a person that loves to tinker with all the you know, the way it looks and the way it works and all the settings, this is probably worth trying at Vivaldi.com. Yeah. No, I tried it out today. It's, it's good. I, I ran into the same sort of this is a new product bugs, and I'm also reliant on a handful of Chrome extensions. Well, you they know. support Chrome extensions. Yeah, but, you know. To the extent Chromium, which is the open source basis of Chrome, and on which this is built, to the extent Chromium supports the extensions, they support them. Right, and there, but there's just a few, like you know, my password manager. Like I'm not ready to to just yeah. you know. Sure. There, there's a few that I think are very sensitive. So. Yeah, I think it's kind of hard to break in with any new browser, even if they said, "Oh, this is for non-power users," and it was a completely different product. It, it's hard to get people to switch at this point. Well, that, uh, so that, I think that's that, that's actually the really interesting thing to me. There was a time when it wasn't so hard to get me to switch browsers, when I would run Safari and Firefox and Chrome uh, and IE on my Windows PC, sort of not interchangeably, but I, I was moving around between them because they were yeah. there was a browser war going on. And that browser war seems to have all but stalled out, as far as I can tell. Yeah, no, there here, and I, I wrote this actually in the piece. Um, there, is, there was a browser war. It actually began uh, before any of those browsers you mentioned. It began with Netscape, uh, at which then uh, Microsoft countered with Internet Explorer a long, long time ago. I mean, to the point where uh, I think some Microsoft guys even like stole Netscape's <laughs> logo from their lawn or something and put the IE logo there. And it was all kinds of crazy stuff. 
and the uh, but it's settled way down. Uh, I think two things have happened, or three things have happened. One is browsing has, has, as I said a minute ago, has gone mobile. And I think what happens on people's mobile devices, not everyone, but you know, 80, 90% of the people pretty much stick with whatever the default browser is that came on their phone. So if you're an Android user, you're likely to be using mobile Chrome, unless your Android phone is in China or is a very low-priced one uh, where they don't use the Google stuff. And then you have – there's also actually an, a, a kind of a white-label Android browser. But whatever it is came with your phone, that's what you're going to uh, use. If you're on an iPhone you're, or an iPad, you're going to use uh, mobile Safari. So that's another thing where there isn't – it's not like you can't get other browsers, but most people don't. Then the whole question of worrying about the browser interface and the way it presents web homepages or portals, which used to be hugely important um, – I think it's become less and less and less important, as you know so very well, and everyone that uh, is involved in in running websites knows so very well. Many or most of the traffic you get if you're running a website now does not come from people firing up your homepage and going to your their bookmarks or whatever. Some of it does, but most of it now comes in uh, sideways. It comes in because somebody saw a link on social media. In, and, and even then, when they see the link in, let's say, Facebook, it may be in Facebook instant articles. So it may just open in a specially formatted way right in Facebook, and you still don't actually go to the browser if, let's say, you're using the Facebook app on you know, your mobile device. Or the in-app browser, which is the same rendering engine as your default browser probably, but without all of the features – that uh, Vivaldi, you know, is the latest to to try to incorporate and entice you to use that browser. So um, I think that all of those things have combined to uh, sort of uh, uh, cool down or end the browser war that that was a fierce thing. I mean, a new browser or new features on a browser, if you know, not only uh, us journalists, but Actual uh, users cared a lot about almost as much as they cared about a new operating system right. in those days. It was huge. Well, I mean, that this thing you're talking about, about apps sort of co-opting the web and bringing the web inside the app, uh, I'll just throw out some numbers. When we launched The Verge in 2011, this big shift to mobile content consumption was just beginning. It wasn't it wasn't quite there, right? We've, we felt comfortable writing launching a site that wasn't responsive, that had a desktop version, an m.theverge version, which now is like a crazy idea, and actually an app as well. And our just our stats in 2011 when we launched, the average number of pages per visit was like four or five, and the average time on site per visit was insane. It was eight, ten minutes. People were just, you know, you'd come to the site in your desktop, you'd click around the site, you'd see some stuff, you'd read some other stuff. And now, because of mobile browsing, uh, there's this one-and-done phenomenon where you see the link in Facebook or Twitter or what have you. You click on it, you open it up, you read the story, and you, you know, the, the, the browser inside that experience doesn't really want you to stay in it. It wants you to consume some content and back out to Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Then hit that X hit the and X. go back. And so our number of one-and-dones, our pages per session have plummeted. It's, 
it's still over one, which is great. It's actually better than most people like live at one. So we're at like 1.5 to two, depending on the month. And our time on session has also plummeted or time per session has plummeted because of all of the one and dones in, in, in that browser experience. But we have a lot of sessions. We have an extraordinary Thank number. Goodness. We are, you know, more people are visiting. And let's not give the people the feeling that we're going out of business. No, we have, I mean, we have, anytime. I will say we have many, many, many more visitors uh, and more pages yeah. served. Yeah. Um, they're just other the, – the, the levers have, have been pulled in different ways. Right. Our audience distribution is – I mean, when we launched the site, RSS was a primary distribution mechanism for us. Um, and yeah. that is – we still have it, and I encourage you to sign up for the version on RSS. But most people come to the site, either they go to theverge.com on a browser or um, they come in through one of the social networks. So the, the, the actual reason to have a browser – the primacy has faded. And I think that's, that is really interesting. That, that does bring us to this web versus apps moment when it's what is the most important square on your home screen. And I think for a lot of people that's moving away from the browser, which, you know, you're talking about people changing browsers all the time. You know, the first thing a lot of people I know when they, when they buy a Windows machine, the first thing they do is install Chrome. Right? They, they go to yeah, a browser absolutely. vendor and they, they, install a new you know, major piece of software on that computer. And that's not to say Edge isn't good. It's just not mature yet. So, right. you know, the, and it was, and this, this install Chrome thing probably was even more prevalent before they brought out Edge when, when they were still, when they were on the umpteenth version of Internet Explorer. <laughs> I mean, the, and that's funny because that is the, the browser war in my mind had a life cycle, which was everybody used one browser until it got super crufty and old and slow. And then another vendor would come out with a very stripped down browser that would slowly get cruddy and slow. And then, you know, it's like everyone used IE and then everyone switched to Firefox and then Firefox got old and, and then everyone switched to Chrome. And then, you know, the Mac people might've switched to Safari, but that second moment of our, what does a new browser look like? Has, has not happened yet again. We've landed at mobile Chrome and mobile Safari, and so shall we stay. And I think that is, you know, if you look at Mozilla, their attempts to launch mobile Firefox have just not gone anywhere. Uh, and I no. think that is that is fascinating. And I think the next piece of it is, if people listen to the show, know that every time we talk about the iPad, I say, well, I could use this thing if it had a better browser. Um, and you have that, you know, in some places, but you and I really disagree, like fundamentally disagree on that. I think you... We had the fun little conversation on Twitter with Michael Gartenberg where I was like, I, the browser is what's holding this product back. And I think both of you really strenuously disagreed with me. Um, but that's why I could use a Chromebook for work. When I, you know, I forgot my laptop last week uh, at home and I just used a Pixel for a day and it was not perfect. I couldn't do everything, but I could get most everything done. I still can't do that with an iPad. But if you had forgotten your, your phone, your iPhone uh, at home, or whatever phone you were using, you would have turned around and gone back mm-hmm. for it, um, and then that's one of the differences. Uh, yeah, the so there's a. Spe- I think let, let, let's let's deal with the iPad issue first, and then we can generalize if sure. you want. Um, I, I think the iPad is a special case that's quite different than phones, uh, and and Android browsers would be as uh, Android tablets would be as well, except they don't have. Uh, any significant body of uh, tablet-optimized apps. But the in my experience on my iPads, the version of websites that I get is very often not the mobile version. I can get the desktop version without asking. It just comes. Right. So, uh, And the browser looks 
and acts much more, you know, like where are my favorites, the, you know, my favorite bookmarks, how do the tabs look? Uh, they don't look the way they do on a phone. They look much more like they do on a, on a Mac or PC. So the browser experience on the iPad is not, um, you know, I, when I go to The Verge on the iPad, I see, I see the desktop version no of The doubt. Verge. You see, uh, you see the tablet version. Wait, there's a tablet breakpoint. Okay, I see the yeah. tablet version, but it looks and behaves much more like the desktop version than the i than the phone version does. And so, I mean, it's a special case. On the, we were you, you and I, and Gartenberg and whoever else joined that thread, were talking about tablets because we were discussing the new um, iPad. Right. So I think you know browser usage on especially the iPad in particular is. Uh, just closer to, to a desktop experience and not a jarring weirdo thing like it often is on a, on a phone. Um, but here's how I feel. I mean, just to get to the main issue that you are dying to get to, anyway, <laughs> um, which is apps versus browsers. I think, first of all, it's a little bit of a false uh, debate because I think you're going to use both. Um, you know, and in fact, you're going to, as you pointed out yourself a few minutes ago, you're going to use um, inline browsing in many apps. Right. Um, in fact, many apps I, I think of as just little specialized browsers. Like here's a great example. Any day of the week l- – l- let me back up. I would rather never fly United Airlines ever again, mm-hmm. but I have to uh, because they just have a lot of the flights out of my home airport. Um, and in in booking flights on United Airlines or checking in or doing the things you do, I would vastly, vastly prefer to use their app than to go to their website. It's just – and why? They both are going to the same back end in the cloud, looking up my reservation number or in my frequent flyer number and figuring out who I am and where's my seat and – you know, checking me in and presenting me with a boarding pass, but um, but the app is essentially a little bit, a little sort of specialized browser that's only designed to do air, airline related right. things, and the browser is a general purpose tool where I can go to the site and the site is written in, you know, a very very an immensely versatile language and set or set of languages and tools which we have to respect, but which don't quite customize it as well, in my opinion, in many cases, as a well-done app. Now, there are some terrible apps. There are some fabulous websites where I might have a different point of view. But, um, you know, I think people should use apps where that makes the most sense for them, and they should use websites where that makes the most sense for them. Like Kindle is another example. Um, So I use Kindle on my uh, iOS devices and there's a Kindle app for reading books. You can also read books on via a web browser at a Kindle site, but I wouldn't do that. Uh, It just, it just, you know, Amazon has had an opportunity on Android and iOS and, uh, and of course on their own platforms to, customize the way that that it works in a way that you know they have much more control over and it's much narrower in an app 
All right, but let me so, let me let me get at you though. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna do the thing where I read some old reviews. Um, oh my so God. the first one is, and uh, and this is I think it just shows sort of the evolution here, right? So right. the first review here is 2004, I believe it's uh, it's December 2004. It is <laughs> it is your first ever review of Firefox. Uh, 943 words. I love I love pulling the archive stuff because I get all this information. It ran on page B one of the Wall Street Journal in December two thousand four. Um, That's no small thing. Yeah, no, it, was, it it was a big deal, right? Um, and you've got this line here, which I think will offer some perspective uh, because this was absolutely true at the time. Uh, you say my favorite aspect of Firefox is tabbed browsing, a web surfing revolution that is shared by all major new browsers, but absent from IE. And then you explain tab browsing. And then you go on to say, also Firefox can recognize and use websites that employ a new technology called RSS, which is another great feature that you love. So at that time, in 2004, what was interesting about new browsers was features at the display layer. And I think just before we started podcasting, you were saying tab browsing is the thing that makes web browsing work. And I completely agree with you. And we were talking about, there's all this stuff on the web what is the client going to do to help you navigate and organize all that stuff out there in the web? That's right. Then I've got here your first ever review of Chrome. Uh, four years later, September 2, 2008. And there's a piece of this review that, you know, you talk about all Chrome's features and that's all great. Um, and I'm just, oh, this is going to be a long section, but I'm, I'm going to read the whole thing because it's this is still true today. So I mean, just bear with me here. So Walt writes in 2008, why is Google igniting a new browser war? There are two main reasons, and both involve competing with Microsoft. First, the search giant fears that because the search engine and other major products depend on the browser, Microsoft might be able to gain an advantage by altering the design of Internet Explorer, which has 75% market share. Second, and more important, Google sees the web as a platform for software programs or applications that currently run directly on computer operating systems, most notably Windows. It says current browsers lack the underlying architecture to enable future, more powerful applications, web applications, that will rely more heavily on common web programming languages. So, oh, and then it, the final line here. One day, Chrome might be a sort of online operating system that competes with Windows. Now, what is absolutely true here is that that happened, right? The, the world moved to web applications, particularly on the desktop. Software as a service became a thing, a huge thing, and the world's reliance on Windows faded away, which is the thing that I think allowed Apple, like the Mac, to become a, a prominent kind of computer. You could start to do everything you wanted on a Mac, and it was a better experience, so people moved to Macs. And then the second thing that happened underneath it was the iPhone came up and started disrupting the laptop as well, and the iPad helped with that as well. But now we're, we're back full circle, right? Because now people are writing applications for the mobile operating systems instead of the web, Google is in that same sort of tough spot where they have to write native apps for the iPhone um, and Apple controls the big chunk, at least in the United States, a big chunk of their user base. Yes. So uh, I'll just say a couple of things. First of all, I'm like a visionary. Let's just, <laughs> just clear that away. Look, well, I, there's one thing the show is supposed I to do. I wrote this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's you just read something in 2008 where I predicted Chrome OS yeah. totally, yeah, right? The demise of IE, the demise of Windows, just everything. I, uh, well, I'm just I like don't, a visionary. We, we should just and, rename and my the 2004 show. Column. It should just be you and a crystal ball. 
I'm a visionary there. <laughs> so whatever I wrote today is probably you know Vivaldi. if we I'm, read it in ten years, I'll be a visionary. Twenty thirty, so, we'll all be reading. We'll all be using whether Vivaldi succeeds or not. The big deep thoughts in there are yeah. like you know uh, you should invest based on whatever you read in my columns. No, you should not. You should not. I mean, just say no. Don't do that. Um, <laughs> Uh, but I, I like your your full circle thing. So I think that things that are natively written for the web and that run in a good web browser, and we have several now, um, not an infinite number, but several. But, uh, but if you're an iOS uh, user, you only have one. Yeah, but yeah, I know. But let me just give, make right. the general point. Things that are written, web apps that are written, um, can be very good. And software as a service, obviously, very good. And there's nothing wrong. I can't just repeat this. There's nothing wrong with doing <laughs> everything or some things or half your things or whatever it is in a web browser that you like and have customized to you, suit you, uh, even if it doesn't have a million ways to customize itself like Vivaldi. And um, that's fine. But here's the but. Uh, I, I think that a well-done uh, native app in the operating system that you use all day long has a probably a better opportunity to to be something that you latch on to. So for instance, you can use Google Maps in the browser on your Android phone, which Google does have a lot of control over, uh, or on your iPhone, which Apple has a lot of control over. It's pretty much the same app some slight differences, but it's pretty much the same app. Uh, you can use it in the browser. You can use it in the browser on your PC. You can use it in the browser on your iPad. Um, but most people, I would wager, and this certainly includes me, and I'll bet it includes you, browser lover, uh, <laughs> use the native app of Google Maps because that when you're writing right to the operating system without the intervening, you know, necessity of writing for the HTML web layer, even even if the app it employs HTML, and even though it goes to the same cloud database, you can just focus it better. Now, not everybody does. There's a million and a half apps in Apple's App Store, I think even slightly more in Google's, and a lot of them are crappy. And I don't wouldn't recommend them. And there probably are, are comparable websites that are better. And I would recommend them or web apps that are better. But there's a lot, you know. So let me ask you this: When you there's are, a lot of, of very of targeted apps that do whatever it is you want them to do, and they do it well. But let me ask you and, this: When you're on your MacBook Pro, or you have an Air, yeah. and your MacBook Air, I have both. Uh, when you're using two computers at once, uh, yes. But when you're on your laptop. Do you ever because open- the Verge to all Verge employees? It was my understanding when when I started at the Verge, everyone got two Macs. Is oh, that yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks. Listen, well, it's actually I have three. I have an iMac too. It's uh, what we call the visionary ex- exception. And four Windows. If you, I have if four you Windows predict laptops. two or more industry changing events, you get you get another laptop. I see. Okay. Right. Uh, yeah. Anyway, go ahead. Back, back to your question. Anyhow, when I'm when you're on, on your, when you're on MacBook Pro uh, yeah. or whatever. Um, do you ever open Apple's Maps app, or do you just type Google Maps into your browser? No, 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 no. There, I use the browser much more. Well, I agree. I agree with you on the desktop. I use the, I use the browser much more because I think the app system, as we know it today, and this is a change from ten years ago, twelve years ago, eight years ago when I wrote these columns. 
um, the app ecosystem, uh, the mobile app ecosystem is far more developed. I think a lot of the development energy that was going into writing desktop programs, mm -hmm. uh, we used to call them programs more than apps uh, in progs. those days. We, I think Steve Jobs personally rejected progs and went with apps instead. Right. He called them apps. Yeah, right. Uh, but on the desktop, you know, for many years, we called them yeah. programs. And they cost hundreds of dollars in a lot of cases and came in boxes. And then you downloaded them. But the point is, um, uh, I think a lot of the developer energy that went into doing those on desktops moved to mobile, to doing apps. Remember, this last column, the later of the two columns you read me, uh, is September 2008. So that's a few months after the iPhone came out. And uh, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, after the App Store came out. And uh, it hadn't really started going yet. Right. Uh, and and Google and Android actually still had about a, it was like a month before Android came out, so um, but a lot of that development energy, both in terms of native apps or programs for Windows and Mac OS, uh, moved over to mobile, and then a lot of developer energy for doing things that ran within browsers also moved over. Although when they moved over, they didn't like. Maybe they started to, but they didn't eventually wind up spending most of their energy running, trying to figure out how to make things that worked in mobile phone browsers. They, they, they wrote apps that were native on the phones. That's just what happened. Right. And I think consumers wanted to do that. So that's why it's not a war to me. It's not like, oh, my God, you know, I never use my browser. Of course I use my browser. <laughs> I use my browsers all the time. I mean, I mean I'd rather – I'm annoyed, and I'm a big – we've talked about this before. I'm a big tablet guy, iPad guy in particular. I would – I do a lot of productivity things on it. I would happily have done the editing of my column with my editor, who is you, on my column, uh, last night on an iPad, except that uh, Google we, – we did it in Google Docs, mm -hmm. and, and Google hasn't written a uh, – a, a really good, and they could. It doesn't but, seem hard to me. But therein lies the uh, problem, right? If the if the uh, browser on the iPad was as powerful, and you have an iPad Pro, I'm sure that's what you're using. Yeah, I didn't even try it in the browser, to be honest. I should have. It, I'll try, it, it's try it next good, time. But your iPad Pro is many times more powerful than your Air, right? I mean, you're, the, maybe on different metrics, the Air is more powerful here and there. But as a raw piece of computing uh, machinery. Yeah. yeah, it is. I have it is a brand a very new powerful computer. I have a brand new nine point seven inch iPad, Pro. and yet it's, its like browser cannot cannot handle a word processing, right? Like word processing in an app that sure we it use can for word processing. Well, I think it can handle. I've, I act, honestly, I've never I've never fired it up in the browser on there. It well because it does, it does, there's an app, right? There's because an app. there's an app, and my instinct is to go to the app. But you when you're in the app now the. The thing that made software as a service powerful yeah. was, so, you know, your Salesforce or whatever, your pitch to the enterprise was, you don't have to install new versions of the software. We'll change it on the back end. Everybody gets software free. Yeah, Go I get it. To, to get a better Google Docs experience, Google has to update the app of Google Docs and distribute it to everyone through the App Store. And, uh, it, right. and people are going to quibble with me. Yes, many, 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 many apps have a web back end. Facebook, I think, it, it has a bunch of web stuff in. You know, every app relies on a web backend, and they, they have it's it's a much more hybrid approach. But there's a fundamental level at which, if you want to change something serious about an app, you have to write new code, package it, 
distributed through the App Store. And yes, the apps auto-update now. It's a whole thing. But that is a big change in model from the desktop experience of, say, Google Docs, where I never think about what version of Google Docs I have or whether it, something will be no, supported. That, that or, you're absolutely right. And, and you know, uh, I just don't – I just in – the, in the particular case we're talking about, I think Google – just hasn't updated that app on iOS uh, in a way that it could for the tablet. Uh, but, it's really it doesn't even require the fact that it's an iPad Pro. Uh, I mean, but, it just the only the only thing that's slightly more annoying about. It, I could have used it, by the way. With I mean, it would wouldn't have been the end of the world. It just in that particular app for for listeners that know it, um, the comments that you know. That right. the, the dangerously dumb comments you were leaving <laughs> do, do, do not they were super heated. appear clearly in the margin. You have to like click on something and then they drop down. Yeah, it's funny. Walt didn't take my list. suggestion it, of putting the words free software forever <laughs> after every paragraph. I don't understand. <laughs> I don't understand. No. I know. Open source so, rules. Look, but, there, but, but, but like I said, you know, there are other apps – uh, uh, on my mobile devices, which I prefer to even the website on the computer. So what it comes down to is not a war, not an, a preference all the time for one or all the time for the other. And the web is not dying and shouldn't die. I'd be the last person to want the web to die. Uh, it's just – so I'm better – but I think, you know, this is computer theology. Mm-hmm. Computer theology is what people who are into tech – uh, and care about it passionately turn to they immediately it's, it's like the election you know they immediately <laughs> take complicated nuanced issues i don't mean you uh, but they take complicated nuanced issues and they wrap them up into the web is dying save the web the web is open nothing else is open i mean it's just you know the web is not dying um Here's a new here's a new browser that just came out that I wrote about. Right. You wouldn't have expected that. The web is not dying. People start new websites all the time. We have Medium, interesting in our business. Medium desperately wants Pub- you to download its app. Yeah, I did actually the other day. <laughs> but but Medium does still have a very interesting, powerful website. They want you to download the app. But they want pu- people publishing to. Um, you know, use their their web based tools to start right. a blog or whatever it is. So, uh, you know, that's a good example that these things are mixed. They they appear in different in different ways for different kinds of devices, different moments in your day. And um, well, yeah, let me give you two examples. Um, one first is just a personal annoyance, um, and it it kind of goes to the broader point. Um, and the second one, I think, is the more terrifying thing that is worth talking about. So the Delta app on my phone, I have an iPhone 6S Plus. It's been, you know, a year and a half since the iPhone 6 came out with a larger screen. The Delta app still has not been updated to reflect the new screen size. It's still that zoomed in look. They've added 90 features to the app. I can now, the last one, I can now book a multi-city flight using an app on my phone I have no idea why I would do such a thing, but it's still, they haven't updated the way it looks, which is crazy. I mean, it's a, that's almost like a dereliction of the platform, right? Like, just get it together. It can't be that hard. Like, make the title bar the right size, Delta IT team, if you're listening to me. Uh-huh. It's an airline. Yeah, but it's, that's what Remember, I mean. Remember, it's but an airline. But when I look yeah. at Delta. Whereas United Airlines, 
which is a much worse airline in my my opinion, this is my opinion, than Delta, is uh, they've actually updated their app several times recently, and it does fill up the screen on um, – well, I don't know. I don't carry the big one, so I don't really well, know, but it but – it, but it, it doesn't appear My point is that I never anything. think about when I go to the web, I never think about Yeah, yeah, they, I get it. Okay, so that's one that's one thing. But there are websites also that don't update themselves. Sure, that is true. Just because it's a website doesn't mean it's automatically wonderful and constantly updated. It still requires diligence and imagination um, on the part of the developer. But, but but my point is that the resources of the developer, the 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 leverage you get from updating a website is many times higher than the leverage you get from updating an iOS app, right? So if you change the website once, it goes everywhere. It goes to every platform ostensibly right. equally. If you spend all of your time on your iOS app, you are necessarily taking time away from your Android customer. So that's one thing. The second thing, and I, this is much more fearsome, and I think this is a little bit of theology. It's a little bit of what I believe. It's I definitely know that... Um, for example, Dieter Bone believes this, is that what you get with these apps now is you're beginning to silo data away from the open web. And that, the promise of the web, fundamentally, is that we'd put information out on the internet, we would give it universal resource locators, and then any client could access it as long as they, they spoke the appropriate language of that URL. And now what you have is an app like Facebook that you know, a billion people use, and they're moving the content inside the Facebook app. And if you look at the way Facebook is structured, it is very hard to share anything outside of Facebook. They want it all to all happen in the app. They, they're constantly sending you back in the app. Yeah, it's totally annoying. I, I completely agree with but that you. Is, that is away from the, the – the, if you were, we're talking about theology, that is a, a distinct move away from the theology of the web. Right, right. And, and they have, you know, I don't know what the percentage is. I think it's – they're mostly mobile, but they still probably have 35 or 40% of their people using Facebook on the web. I mean, I use it on the web. I was using it on the web just before the podcast. Right. And so they live on the web and they were built on the web, and yet they're doing this because they have the power to do it. And you, we, I won't put this on you, <laughs> we, we, all of us at, at at our at the Verge and our company Box Media are cooperating with this. Yeah, we serve instant articles. Happily, happily we serve instant it. articles, and they actually are a good user experience. A great user experience. Uh, and they're and I, not sure. I could go check right now. You might know. I don't. Are those not shareable by text or? I mean, <laughs> they, other than face, Facebook Messenger, are they? Can you actually not share those? So out? it's an it's an incredible sort of. I hesitate to say like hijacking, but it is, it's, you know, like Microsoft used to extend or embrace and extend. It's an ex yeah. incredible embrace and extend of the web. So a URL goes into Facebook. Facebook says, oh, I know you. They check, you know, the platform vendor to say, do you have an instant article available? We do because we've built that system. They pull it in as an instant article. So then whenever that URL is shared around Facebook, the Facebook system knows, oh, this is available inside of Facebook. And so they, you tap the URL and it shows you the instant article. If you're on a platform that doesn't support instant articles, the desktop, you hit the URL, you go back to the web. Um, iPad, I don't think instant articles are on iPad yet. So you, 
Hit it. They're on. I I don't remember, but they're they're either on iPhone but not iPad or yeah, on they're, iPad, they're, they're on the iPhone, iPhone but not the, uh, the you know they went to the biggest audience first. So it's it's really interesting that the 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 canonical structure of the web remains because everything is URL based, but Facebook is actually serving you different content than the web. So the 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 resource locator for Facebook, right? But but I was asking, uh, I I was talking to your specific point, (laughs) which is interesting, about sharing because I agree with you. If I so I'm looking on my my, uh, phone at this Vivaldi Vivaldi piece that we're we were talking about, and there's there's a share thing like you see on so many things. And you're in the instant article. Well, I know it's an instant article because it has a lightning bolt, but I haven't opened it yet. So if I just am looking at the you know the post and I hit share, I get it says write post or copy link. So that's useless. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. And then if I hit the lightning thing or if I hit the you know the article, now I get this lovely formatted. It just it is instant. Yep. Uh, uh, and I know our teams have had to work hard on this and separately on apples and separately on Snapchats and. They're working on Google's, I know, and um, but then there's a big there's a the word share. So at the there's upper two. Right so this is really interesting. So if you press the word share at the top of the article, which you yeah, then it says email, yep, Twitter. All, but but think of this is a um, I think what interface copy this link. This is what interface experts call a dark pattern. Pinterest. You're never gonna hit share before you consume the article. So now if what you do is scroll the bottom, you know, pretend that you've yeah. read the article. The fi- the share button at the bottom. I have, of the I have article, read the article. Uh, yeah. Is only shares to Facebook. So yes, the, the appearance of being open is there because they've put yeah, those you're buttons. Right. You're absolutely the right. I never noticed this. But the that's the very, the, that's very the pattern that they're driving you to is to reshare into Facebook. So what's the answer? Should we pull out of the instant article program? Uh, should- <laughs> I don't think we should ignore the audience. I think there are there are just sort of. You know, and this is maybe a little too media inside baseball. As publishers are contending with a distributed platform world, the choices you make uh, about where to develop get harder and harder. So here's another example, and I think this goes to you know what I was saying about leveraging software development. If you saw our Oculus Rift review on the web, there was a really great um, I, I call them tilt gimmicks. It used the the motion sensing in the iPhone and the header image right. moved a little bit when you moved your phone. And I think that's, I noticed that. I think that's really fun. That's Obviously great. we, you know, that's like JavaScript. We can't like send that out to Insta articles or whatever, but Apple loved it. And so the Apple news team contacted our team and said, we're assigning an engineer to your story so that when it's an Apple news, the tilt gimmick works. It's great. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. That's pretty uh, good. But that is the least scalable model of media distribution ever. To have single yeah, Apple a engineers phone call working on a story and assigning an engineer, uh, yeah. So you just lose this web effect where you have information in the world on the internet. You have some display information, um, you know, like a tilt gimmick or whatever other interactive. And now, as you pull it off the web and you pull it away from the standards and into these apps, you you begin to lose really key pieces of information. Another really good example. I use Pocket every day. I love Pocket. It is uh, the thing yeah. that enables my commute on the subway. Yeah. Pocket Pocket, and our pull quotes just don't get along. right? It, it just it takes the web. It turns it into something else. It saves them on the phone. It's really convenient. It We lose some formatting along the way. Now, there's some good 
parts to that. It also strips away a bunch of you know bad ads on other websites. Uh, our ads are great, by the way, and you should consume them. But uh, <laughs> try greenvelope.com. Um, <laughs> but uh, even the ones that you know you have to go through before you even see the logo of the site are great. Yes, and you should believe that they're great. You should, yeah. in your heart, know that they're they are they're they're doing the work. Um, but it's it's interesting. It's it's as you get away from the web. And the idea that software development and technical development should occur in the universal, most accessible place and take it into silos, there are effects. There are knock-on effects to that. And some of them are small, like, you know, a Delta application that hasn't been updated for the iPhone 6 shamefully after a year and a half. And there are some effects that are big, which is we're trying to build next generation storytelling interfaces and they don't go to the platforms. And then there are some effects that are massive and potentially really, really disruptive in, in the bad way, which is we're going to start taking data and moving it from a universally accessible place to a silo. But there are things happening in de-siloing as well. Google is working to be able to search across sites. I think um, Apple is doing some work on that mm-hmm. with its apps. And Apple has so much power over the apps on its platform that if it wanted to, it could impose that as a as a future requirement. Uh, and so, you know, I mean, if consumers demand it, if it becomes a bad experience, then the consumers will vote. And uh, the, the developers and the platform owners will have to do something about it. I, I would just point out, I'm sitting here uh, talking to you, and at the same time I have this iMac open, mm-hmm. and I have Facebook open to uh, actually a lovely picture of us page topped by a lovely picture of us and at, at code, which you mentioned. And so I'm in a web browser. I'm on what it must be the most popular site on the web, Facebook. And here's the Vivaldi article, and I'm hitting the share button there. First of all, it takes me to another box that says share dot, dot, <laughs> dot. It doesn't do anything. Yeah. That's terrible. But it's the web, but it's terrible. And then I hit the share, dot, 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 and it opens a Facebook post <laughs> no, that, and invites me to type something yeah. in it. And, and, you know, all the usual things. Put my location, put who I'm with, all the things. It basically does nothing. The sharing does nothing but keep me within Facebook. And I'm on the open web. Yeah, but you're, in, you're not so, inside of Facebook's client app. You are, you are, as Google would say, one click away from competition. Whereas, what competition? Whatever you can just open a new tab and do something else, and you're not your operating system. But but the realities of the world are that every day, through their web browsers on their PCs and Macs and Chromebooks and whatever else they have, more people are probably in the Facebook site than any other site. That's almost certainly true. I'm just guessing, but that's almost certainly true given their. Given their, yeah, I don't know. I don't go to the Google homepage. I do my, you could, because you can do the same search from the bar. But um, so I just gave you an example of a terrible experience, a si- not, not only a siloed experience, but a clumsy one uh, on the most popular site on the open web. Of the, and the same experience I'm sure would happen if I switched to Safari or if I, uh, you know, opened Vivaldi or, you know, Firefox or any other browser I have here, or if I went went to my Windows machine and opened Edge, but you just, it would but all so happen. you just described something that I think is very important, 
you said I'm going to go to a Windows machine and open Edge. You're going to you're going to leave the platform, you're going to use a different piece of hardware, the different operating system with a different browser and you're going to get the same Facebook experience. Yeah, and I know you value that, but I'm just telling you it's a horrible siloed experience. <laughs> Take your pick. Which do you hate more? And which do you love more? Do you love the fact that I have the same terrible experience on different hardware and different browsers or do you hate that it's a siloed experience, which you were just also bitching well, about? Well, they're both siloed experience. That's what I'm saying. I'm, I'm, just trying, I'm just trying to say to you that, yes, the web is more open than a particular app built for a particular platform, but the most popular site on the web is not. That's true. So, I mean, you know, it, it's not – tech theology doesn't wrap this up <laughs> as neatly as we would like I it would to. say the web enables competition in a way that – native apps do not, right? The, the reason Windows Phone did not and will likely never succeed is because the the amount of native apps on the iPhone far outweigh anything that Microsoft could convince developers to do. Same with Android. Um, the amount of Android apps far outweigh anything that Microsoft could convince developers to do. But in that moment, right before the app explosion, when Chrome was released, when Safari was released, it became, and all of the development was on the web, it became possible to use a different operating system, a different piece of hardware, um, superior hardware in some cases, superior operating system in some cases for consumers because they were no longer leaving legacy investment behind because they still had access to stuff, the important stuff they needed because it was disintermediated by the web. Now, I just think that competition is really important. It, it, it levels the playing field for what you buy. It levels the playing field for the experiences you can have. It enables new disruptive companies to come out with new disruptive kinds of hardware. There's, there's a lot that it's, we could do tech theology all day and all night, but that to me, that's the root of it is the web, the web disintermediated the application experience from the hardware and the operating it, system. If only you had a columnist on the verge who reviewed new web <laughs> to support that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'm for that. Of course I'm for that. I'm just think apps are also good. I think it depends. Yeah. Just depends on what you're doing, when you're doing it, where you're doing it. Like I was walking before we started this, I was walking through downtown DC, actually walking back from uh, uh the Vox headquarters building and I took a look at my iPhone, saw that you had put something on Slack that I needed to read. And I guess, I don't know, I haven't tried it. I could have opened the browser on the phone and tried to get into Slack that way, but there's a Slack app. It's just faster, it works, Yeah, seems to have all the features. And I got the information I needed at that moment before the light changed. And and I, and I had to take my eyes off the screen so I didn't get hit by a car. And it was fine, <laughs> it was perfect. And then when I got back to the office, I looked at Slack again in an app, by the way, not in a browser, on the computer. So I don't know what and, the but in fairness, between both those two experiences Slack was. mobile app and the Slack desktop app heavily built on web views, right? So the web is there. It's in these places. Yeah, and I think that's true of a lot of apps. So, you know, I guess you have to think about whether you're talking about, A, the internet, be the cloud, see the web, 
presentation of the web through a browser, which is what, when I wrote those old columns, was what we thought about and all that we thought about when we thought about it, or presentation of the web through rendering engines that appear inside things like Twitter and Facebook, or presentation of, you know, content that can also appear on websites inside things like the Slack app, you know. So I have a version of the Slack app for Android. I have a version for iOS on the iPhone. I have a somewhat differently laid out version that takes advantage of the screen real estate on the iPad. And, an even, and I have a, a big one on, on the iMac here. On the, uh, I'll give you another example, TweetDeck. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if everybody listening to this knows about it, but I'll bet most people do. It's one of many Twitter clients, and it, but it's particularly good if you're interested in following at the same time lots of different feeds, uh, your home feed, your maybe your feed of mentions, and then feeds of other people or other things that matter to you because it just takes over the whole screen. You can do that inside of Chrome. There's a Chrome web app for that, and that works on Chrome OS, which I repeat, I predicted in 2008. And then, uh, but there's also an app for TweetDeck for Windows and Mac. And, you know, I would rather just go to the app than go to Chrome and then go to the thing inside and have a tab. Remember to go constantly back to the tab, you know. I, so yeah, just personal preference. I mean, you know, I, the whole back end is just the Twitter feed and it remembers my sign-ins or remembers the people I'm following and the columns I have and all that. You know, I, I don't. <laughs> I don't feel like a traitor because I use the TweetDeck app. Well, I think we've conclusively proven that the web is dead. <laughs> no, we have not. We've proven <laughs> that there's a brand new web browser, and you can read about it on the Verge. <laughs> yes, please, please open a web browser and visit theverge.com and read this review. It is the last thing keeping us afloat. Waltz reviews, uh, but no, seriously, we we have run out of time. I, we could talk about this for hours, honestly. And in fact, Dieter and I do talk about this for hours and hours. Um, because it is, to me, it's, it is, like Walt said, there's so many layers. Are we talking about data display? Are we talking about where the data lives? Are we talking about this? Or that? It, 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 to me, it's, it is one of, and will always be one of the most interesting conversations in tech. Unfortunately, we are out of time for this one today. So there's so much more verge and recode podcasting for you to listen to let me see if i can run th- remember them all lauren good hosts too embarrassed to ask and recode radio peter kafka hosts recode media which is wonderful kara swisher host recode decode uh i host the verge cast i will say this week's verge cast well you know this verge cast 200 this week i do congratulations We've that's done awesome. 200 episodes Fantastic. of that show uh, in just under five years, which is insanity to me. Um, so Vergecast 200 tomorrow. We've got special guest returning. Uh, so listen to that. Uh, Chris Plant hosts What's Tech, which is wonderful. He did a great episode on Slack this week. And Emily Shade and Liz Zapato do uh, Verge ESP, which is entertainment science podcast. So you can literally close your web browser, open your <laughs> podcast app, just relax, <laughs> let it flow over you. There's so much to listen to, so or, much to think about. Or <laughs> use your web browser. Or use a web browser. Whatever yeah. you prefer. Whatever Please. is most convenient, whatever is most powerful, <laughs> whatever is most whatever, you can do to get content we create for you. Yes. The, you, the consumer, shall decide the future, right. the future of content distribution. 
Uh, use Facebook. I guess that's pretty good. And if you once you're in there, you can't get out anyway. So that's great. Um, and then you can leave feedback. You know who's going to kill us here? Helen is going to kill I know, us. She's, she's, and the listeners don't even know who I'm talking about, but you know. Yeah. 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 Helen is our engagement. <laughs> she's in charge of all our distribution. Well, I'm saying use Facebook. I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm being clear. There's After downsides. beating up on it for like 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Look, they're killing the web, but use it. All right. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm saying. Sorry, Helen. I'm Just trying to rein open. him in. Helen, I'm trying to rein him in. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, actually, I want you to use Twitter. You can tweet at me. I'm at Reckless. Tweet at Walt. He's at Walt Mossberg. We love getting suggestions for the top of the show, so please tweet those at us. And uh, any other feedback you have, anything you want us to talk about, uh, we're happy to hear it. So that was it. Uh, thanks, Walt. That was, that was a fun episode. Thanks, Neil. Yeah, it was. Yeah.